1: haven't already rated and reviewed the single tracks podcast in your podcast app now's the time to do it we're randomly selecting listener reviews to read on the show and if we choose yours you'll get a free single tracks hat in the mail hit pause right now write a quick review and then listen to future episodes to find out if you won yourself a hat happy trails hey everybody welcome to the Singletracks podcast. My name is Jeff, and today we're going to be sharing part two of our interview with mountain bike skills instructor Gene Hamilton. If you missed part one, be sure to go back and listen to that, and then catch back up with us right here on this episode. I noticed there's an article on your website titled, Is Mountain Biking Wrecking Your Health? And you know, obviously most of us just assume we're doing something good for our bodies by going out for a ride, but it sounds like if we don't have possibly good form, we could be causing damage to ourselves. Is is that true?
0: Well, a little bit true. The, the, the biggest form thing I'll give you right now, there's only one form thing that's really going to probably help you not get damage your body as much. Mm-hmm. And that's hinging at the hips versus, versus kind of bending at your belly button.
1: Uh, okay. You know, literally,
0: literally focusing on hinging with a flat back. Cause mm-hmm. you know, how mountain biking, Both when we're standing and descending or when we're seated and climbing, we tend to kind of lower our chest towards the handlebars a bit, especially the steeper the climb if we're seated and climbing. Well, when we lower that chest, do it from the hips with a hinge, not from rounding your back, back, right? And a bunch of – it's really interesting, and there might be some aerodynamic thing to this, or it might be the fact they typically don't have the strongest – cores because mm-hmm. i see this in the tour de france a lot like these really rounded backs and i'm like that can't yeah. be good for you you know i'm just like yeah, that looks terrible to me yeah but you know maybe it's more aerodynamic or, or i don't know i don't know the whole spiel behind that but that's the what i'm getting at when i talk about wrecking your health and i, I say this because all of the things i'm about to tell you have happened to me because like I think many people, when I first got into mountain biking, I was like, this is awesome. I don't need to go to the gym anymore. <laughs> you know, I get, this, I get this great exercise and I'm outside and, you know, I, I, mentally I feel so much better. And I tell you what, mountain biking is incredible for our mental health. Mm-hmm. It, it does wonders for our heart health and our lungs and some of our leg muscles.
1: <laughs> some of them.
0: It yeah. does. And, but And that's the problem is oh, again with almost any sport there's a lot of imbalances in mountain biking where you're working one one muscle but not the opposing muscle mm-hmm. right so and, and there's certain things in mountain biking like that that everyone will tell you mountain biking w- requires a very strong and stable core and low back and lower back which is part of your core mm-hmm. But it doesn't develop that at all. Right. You know, you can ride for hours and hours a day, and it's not going to develop that core strength, right? But you need that core strength to ride well.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: It also there's a lot of imbalances in the in the fact that it really really works our quadriceps and our gluteus maximus, mm-hmm. but it doesn't really work our hamstrings that much. Mm-hmm. So, um, and it also there's a ton of stability muscles in our legs and it works them in funny ways or, or, or it it doesn't even use them. Hmm. And if you can strengthen all those muscles, you're not going to get the, and maintain your mobility. You're not going to get as many of these overuse injuries and these Hmm. imbalance injuries. You know, one of my favorite things, uh, I love this guy, uh, Hans Ray calls it your chocolate foot in one of his videos, <laughs> right? And your chocolate foot is the foot you like to put forward mm-hmm. and all, but two mountain bikers I've ever met and discussed this with, including Greg Minar, they all favor one foot forward over the other. I don't know. Like I said, I've met two people that say they can honestly ride either foot forward and it doesn't matter. Huh. And I'm jealous as heck of those two people. <laughs> Cause I cannot do that. So when it gets on easy trails, I do it a lot more and more. When the trail's easy, the first thing I try to do is put my non chocolate foot forward up, which is my right foot. foot. I always ride left foot forward. Right. Yeah. So, uh, I put the non chocolate foot forward, but it still feels awkward. And the second there's going to be some roots or rocks to go over or a jump to hit or a corner. I got to hit fast. Mm-hmm. I, I put that left foot forward again. That's just where I'm more comfortable. Mm. But the problem is that creates this twisted torso. My hips, anyone who studies this will can probably um, articulate this a little bit better than me. But we have myofascia, which is kind of like our spider web surrounding all of our muscles. Mm -hmm. And I had it explained to me once by... Uh, a body worker and it was a great way she explained it. It's like a spider web. Okay. So if you're looking at a window in your house and there's a spider web that takes up the entire window in your house, mm-hmm. but you pull on it only one inch from the, 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 the lower left corner, mm-hmm. does it only affect that part of the spider web or does it kind of affect the entire spider web? Right. right? So I first realized this, I was getting um, a massage from my massage therapist, or a new massage therapist to me, who happens to be a mountain biker. And um, she said, Oh, so your right leg is your trailing leg. And I'm like, How did you know that? <laughs> and she's like, The way it's twisted. Hmm. You know? And then I went to a chiropractor years after that. And he had me stand in front of a sheet against the wall. He goes, square up against that sheet. I want your right shoulder to be, you know, say three feet away and your left shoulder three feet away Mm -hmm. and your left hip bone three feet away and your right hip bone three feet away. So I lined up perfectly square to that sheet. Mm -hmm. And then he dropped the sheet and behind that sheet was a mirror. Mm -hmm. And I would say one of my shoulders was 30 inches from that mirror and the other Mm -hmm. one was 20 inches from that mirror. Oh, wow. Like I was drastically twisted, Hmm. but we have, we have this thing called proprioception. It's kind of our awareness of where our body is in space. Mm -hmm. Our proprioception adjusts to anything. It's amazing. So my proprioception had adjusted to being crooked like that. Hmm. So it didn't feel like I was crooked. Yeah. Right. So all these things are what can really, Wreck your health with mountain biking, and yes, what we love to do in life, what skeptics love to do, and I'm a skeptic, what skeptics love to do in life, is they'll point out the anomalies. Well, yeah, this guy doesn't do that, and he's fine. Right. Yeah, he's he's a freak, but the majority <laughs> of people that do this aren't fine. Right, right. So we all have that buddy that doesn't stretch ever and is more flexible than we are. Well, all I, again, I'm just jealous of that guy, mm-hmm. but if I, if I live his lifestyle, I know what happens to me. Right. I've quit this sport twice, mm. right? Twice. Mm-hmm. I've completely quit mountain biking. Once I took like eight weeks off and went to Bali and just did, did a uh, yoga for eight weeks and one week of surf camp. And that finally got my body straightened out enough to, I did a bunch of, of physical therapy while I was mm-hmm. there too. Yeah, and then most recently, I was 50 years old, and the World Masters Championships were in uh, Val Soleil, Italy, mm-hmm. and I signed up. I paid my entry fee, and I was up in uh, Whistler training my butt off, doing some uh, BC and and Canada Cup uh, downhill races, plus training at Whistler,
1: mm-hmm.
0: and I just couldn't ride anymore. After every after every lap at Whistler, my body would just hurt worse. After mm-hmm. every and during the during it, and I went to the chiropractor in Whistler that I'd been to before, and on his desk was this book called Foundation Training, mm-hmm. and I, I remember it had a Ford by Lance Armstrong.
1: Oh, wow!
0: So I bought that book and I just put it on the shelf because after that chiropractic appointment and taking a couple of weeks off from riding, I felt better again.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: So uh, I'm at my little place in South Africa that winter, and I'm taking my wetsuit off, and my back locks up. And I literally, for two days, I just crawled around my little house in South Africa. I could not stand up for two days, you know. And then I remember that book. I'm like, why don't you open that book? (laughs) And And I started doing the exercises in that book, and... After a day of doing those exercises, then a day off, then another day of doing those exercises, the next day I went and rode my mountain bike and felt great. Oh, wow. Right? And, and But since then, it's been a constant battle because like most humans, I'll do that foundation training until I feel really good and strong and then I'll keep doing it so I stay good and strong. But then because I'm feeling so good and strong, I start slacking and I start slacking Mm -hmm. And then all of a sudden the back goes out again or something, you know? Right. So, but my back has never gone out while I'm actively doing my foundation training, Mm. you know? So that's what I'm trying to, I'm trying to help people not do what I did. Obviously (laughs) that article, especially the people that didn't read the article and just commented on the, on the title of the article. Mm -hmm. It's really funny. If you go to my Mm -hmm. LinkedIn page people just tore it apart and it's obvious they didn't read it because if you go to the, if you read the article and then read all the comments on my blog, which means to get to the bottom of my blog, they probably read the article. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: They're all super positive. You know, they're like, Oh man, thank you. You know, this really makes sense. Blah, blah, blah. But, um, so, you know, I obviously that's not going to help my business much by writing that article. Mm -hmm. I wrote that article to help people not go through all the pain I've gone through and to teach them to take care of their bodies. I mean, just think of the position we are in mountain biking. We're hinged over while we're trying to look ahead. That puts a massive strain on our necks. Yeah. You know, I I mean, I can't think of any sport where the correct descending posture, you know, so bad for our necks, but, but, you know, puts us in an athletic position otherwise than being bad for our necks, you know? And, uh, You know, it's kind of the opposite of sitting in front of a computer all day, which is also bad. And that's another reason, you know, as I wrote my article, I don't know about everybody else's life, but my life is sitting in front of my computer all day, answering emails and writing my blog articles and Mm -hmm. working on my business and then going out and writing. Right. You know, so it's like, you know, especially since COVID, I used to always try to do at least two yoga classes a week and a bunch of yoga on my own. Mm hmm. But since COVID, you know, the yoga classes are online and that's just not the same to me. You know, it just it doesn't motivate me in the same way. Mm-hmm. And I haven't done a yoga class in over a year now.
1: Oh, yeah.
0: And I'm mean, lucky I do my own stuff. But so my whole thing on that was I just want people to realize that mountain biking is really good for our mental health, good for our heart, good for our lungs, good for parts of our legs. Mm-hmm. But if we can add some cross training – into that and some mobility training into that, we're going to be able to mountain bike much longer in our life and enjoy it much more.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah, for sure. Well, you mentioned a number of different names uh, in our conversation so far, different folks you've worked with over the years. Tell us about one or two of the pros that you've worked with uh, who really stands out in terms of like the work that they put in and then kind of the, the gains that they were able to make. Uh, based on this idea of like really focusing in on technique and form.
0: Okay, I'm going to start with a person that I coach that I just think is a wonderful human. And that's Sue Haywood. I was fortunate to coach her in, uh, I think I did a camp outside of Philadelphia about 10 years ago or 11 years ago. And she ended up working for me as a better ride coach for a little while. Hmm. And for those that don't know her, um, she did everything correct to get a spot in the maybe 2000 Olympics or maybe 1996 Olympics. I forget. Mm -hmm. Or maybe two, I don't know which Olympics might've been 2004 or eight Olympics, (laughs) but um, she did it all right. She did everything. US USA cycling told her to do. And then they gave her spot to somebody else. Oh no. Right. So she sued USA Cycling and I believe she won. You know, she can't discuss this. One of those settlements where you can't discuss your settlement. Mm-hmm. But um but anyway, she is probably the most genuine, awesome human and uh and it it took probably a lot for someone of that caliber to trust someone like me who's not near at her caliber and take coaching from me. And now she does I don't know if she still does a lot, but she definitely puts on a lot of courses on her own, um, on the East coast where she's from in Virginia. Okay. And, uh, so I just wanted to give her a shout out cause she's amazing. And then, um, the two people, uh, you, you said two, so it's so hard to break it down to two, <laughs> but, uh, one person that I've worked with quite a bit as my assistant coach, but, um, I did teach him a bit about body position, and uh what's amazing about him is just his mindset. And that's Greg Minar, right? Mm. He he's uh for those listening that aren't into downhill racing, Greg Minar's nickname is the GOAT, the greatest of all time. Yep. He's won the most World Cups of anybody, and he's forty years old this year, I believe, maybe thirty nine, I think forty this year. Last year he uh was thirty nine and he won a World Cup downhill at thirty nine, which is wow. pretty freaking amazing, right? Yeah. And but yeah. And what that guy has is I've never met somebody that wants to win like he does, but yet at the same time, on the race course and on race day, yes, he's got a big ego. He's freaking Greg Menar <laughs> but but when you meet him off uh, outside of mountain biking, if you don't bring up mountain biking, he might never mention the fact that he even rides. Oh wow, you know, like he's very humble, and I, I respect that. Now. As far as people I've worked with, a couple of people that really stand out are uh, Mitch Ropalato. Mitch Ropalato, again, for those that don't know, um, he's one of the best all-around mountain bikers in the world. He's gotten second in a, in his second-ever World Cup. He got second place in a four-cross race. Hmm. He's gotten 11th place in a, a World Cup downhill. He's gotten second place in an EWS. He's been the king of crank works multiple times. Mm-hmm. He, he wins slalom races. He wins pump track competitions, every discipline, but cross country. He's one in let's put it mm-hmm. that way. Yeah. And what I love about Mitch is his, his love of riding. So and he loves it way more than I do. I mean, I go out seriously, I go out and I ride and then I come home and I stretch. <laughs> Mitch will go out and ride. And then before, or after his ride, he might spend half an hour at the BMX track or at the skateboard park, just mm-hmm. cranking airs out of, out of the jumps or at the wow. dirt jumps, yeah. you know, or just goofing off on the curb in front of his house, trying to do some weird manual landing or something like that. <laughs> he's on that bike. I don't know if he's still this way. I think he is from the videos I watch, but he's on that bike all day long. And so is his good friend, Cody Kelly, who I've also coached. Mm-hmm. They, just, they just love riding bikes. And there's a a kid. uh, not a kid anymore. So funny. I think of all these guys as kids, <laughs> but uh, they're all adults now. There's a guy I coached when he was a kid named Sean Near. He rides for Yeti, and, uh, and he he and Cody are both co world champions. Uh, they won the world enduro championship two years ago with their teammate Richie Rude. Mm-hmm. And Sean Near again, just like Cody and Mitch, they're committed to practicing. Mm. You know, not only do they do their cornering drills and a lot of stuff that I taught them, they do a ton of stuff I didn't teach them. Like I said, all three of those guys like riding BMX tracks and skate parks and dirt jumps. Huh. They just love riding bikes. And it shows because they all, you know, they're three of the most famous American mountain bikers right now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's obviously paid off for them. Something I, I, I really try to stress, and this is a life skill you get out of life what you put into it. Mm -hmm. You get out of mountain biking what you put into it. If you go out and do a hundred mile ride every day, you're probably going to be super fit aerobically. Right. You know, but your skills are probably going to be lacking if that's all you do. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? If you go to the skate park every day and just practice skills all day, you might not have the endurance to ride a 30 mile ride, you know? Mm -hmm. So, you know, you got to break it up, but uh, they really stand out. And, I got to give a shout out to two other students. Uh, one who probably doesn't, might not even remember this. Years ago, I did a course for the Y Riders out of Boulder, Colorado.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And there was this tiny little girl named Chloe. And uh, her married name now is Chloe Woodruff. Mm-hmm. Woodruff. Yep. And she's one of the best American cross country racers now. And I'm not taking any responsibility for her success or anything. It's just cool to see this young, wide-eyed 12-year-old or 11-year-old when I coached her turn into this awesome pro.
1: Yeah. Wow.
0: And then lastly, I had a student in Dallas, Texas. This guy's from a rancher from Waco, Texas. I coached him when he was 78 years old. And his name's Fred Smid. And what Fred did when he was 80, was he did the Leadville 100. And he finished another 12 hours and got his belt buckle. Wow. And then at 81, he had a bit of a stomach bug. And he finished in like 12 hours and 50 minutes or 13 hours or something. And he was pissed that he didn't get that belt buckle. And I like that. You know, the fact that he was angry at 81, he expected – to do the Leadville 100 in under under 12 hours because I'm 54 and I doubt I could do the Leadville 100 in under 12 hours.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Jeez.
0: You know, so if that doesn't inspire people, man, he's one of the most inspirational people. And he started riding a bike in his seventies. Wow. He was a rancher.
1: Yeah, that's that's super inspirational. Well, what, what would you say, you know, based on the folks you've worked with and observed over the years, what is a skill that separates the pros from those who might just consider themselves advanced or even expert writers? I mean, it almost sounds like you're suggesting that it's mindset as much as anything else. But but is that right? Or, yeah. or is it is yeah. it a certain
0: skill? No, it's 100% mindset. It's one hundred percent mindset, and then and there is one other skill, and, and I swear I don't think anyone ever taught this to Greg Minar, but um, Greg just never looks down, and if you look, if you watch, uh, it's really great for those listening, even if you're not quote downhill racer or don't don't even you know don't even think of downhilling as mountain biking. It is mountain biking. It's just a different baby form of the way you do it. If you go to um, YouTube or Red Bull uh, .tv, They've got, you can find all these world cup downhill races. And one thing you'll find is Greg Benar, Aaron Gwynn, all those guys, they flat out, they never glance down in a race run. And when they do, they, which I've caught a few of them doing, I caught Aaron Gwynn doing it once. Aaron immediately crashed right after he looked down. And another time, another time, right after he looks down, he makes a big mistake and almost throws away a victory, but, um, they just You know, those eyes are up. They're looking ahead where they want to go, you you know, using probably all the techniques I teach, even though I don't know if anyone ever taught them those techniques. You know, some people seem to be just born knowing certain things, you know. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And uh, but it's mindset, you know, and speaking of Aaron Gwynn, those that don't know Aaron Gwynn, he's the second winningest mountain biker in the uh, professional downhill World Cup mountain biker. Second winningest in the world Mm -hmm. with a much shorter career than Greg Menard is so far. And one thing that Aaron Gwynn did that completely changed downhill racing, and everyone that was around in the original era of Aaron Gwynn when he started to become great will tell you this he's the first downhiller to truly train like a professional athlete. Hmm. I mean, you know, a lot of downhillers dislike him for this because. According to Greg Minar and and uh, Finn Martin, who was a photographer and former pro downhiller, World Cup racing was a rolling party. You know, like they'd roll in on Wednesday, and and from Wednesday through Sunday, they were out partying all every night till two in the morning. You know,
1: mm-hmm. yeah.
0: And and then Aaron Gwynn comes along, and the party's ended because if you were out partying, you weren't beating Aaron Gwynn. Yeah. Right. Wow. And, uh, and so, and and that comes from mindset, you know, Aaron Gwynn's mindset is I want to freaking win. I'm going to do whatever it takes to win, you know? And he was the first one to really, you know, um, G Atherton somewhat the same way, probably G's always been, been a monster, but G still loved to drink and party with, with them. So, you know, the mindset and, you know, what's also, as I mentioned with Greg Menard, The best people tend to have smaller egos, again, not on the race course. They have big Mm -hmm. egos on race day. You need to have a big ego if you want to win a World Cup on race day. But off of the racetrack, they tend to have open minds because, again, they're looking for any edge they can get. Mm -hmm. And if somebody comes up to Aaron Gwynn and said, hey, Aaron, I noticed this was, you know, you were doing this. I'm willing to bet Aaron would sit there and listen, even though Aaron has no idea who that human is. Yeah. Cause Aaron's like, maybe this guy knows what he's talking about. I'm going right. to listen to this guy, yeah. you know, cause you know, I'd love to be a, a one second faster in a two minute downhill. Mm-hmm. You know, those are the main things. It's that mindset. Oh, and lastly, I got to bring this up in mountain biking. I hope all mountain bikers understand this. Joe Friel in the, um, mountain bikers Bible, wrote this years ago mm-hmm. and he wrote that something I, I don't know the exact number but I believe it was 99% or 95 95% of the people that hire me to coach them have no chance of making it as a pro mm-hmm. and a little less in downhill but I, I think it's a pretty much the same now like Aaron Gwynn I'll tell you a story about him in a second to back this up He's a genetic, he's a genetic freak. Just like everyone, every world cup cross country racer is a genetic freak. If you won the lottery tomorrow, hired the same guy's coach, hired a nutritionist, trained as hard as that guy. Mm -hmm. If you don't have the lung capacity that guy has, or the heart that guy has, you're probably not going to make it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So, and I, I, but that doesn't mean you can't get the same skill as Aaron Gwynn or the same skill as Greg Menard, you know, right. or Rachel Atherton, you can get their skill. You just might not ever have the physical body and lungs and heart they possess.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: Right. Mm-hmm. Cause I mean, I was at this race in Fontana in, uh, it's, uh, outside of LA and I was pushing my bike up this paved road towards the start cause I didn't want to mm-hmm. wait for the shuttle. And while pushing my, you know, 40-ish pound downhill bike up this hill, I'm anaerobic right now. Like, you know, I'm breathing so hard, (laughs) right? right? Just pushing my bike up this hill. It's a steep hill. Aaron Gwynn comes by on his downhill bike pedaling, and he's got a road cassette in the back. His smallest gear in the back. I mean, his biggest gear in the back was like a 20, you know? (laughs) And he just pedals right by me, and he's not even breathing hard. And then the guy in front of me, who was also pushing his bike, knew Aaron and said, hey, Aaron, how you doing? Mm-hmm. And Aaron stopped and had a two-minute conversation <laughs> while pedaling. He never stopped. So now he's doing like three RPM. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> Yeah. And he's just having a conversation with this dude for a minute or two. Jeez. And then he goes, he goes hey, you know, good luck today. And then he just pedaled away. <laughs> and I'm like, oh my lord, you know. I was like, he must have the biggest I mean, I think if he trained in a different way, he might and, and enjoyed that kind of suffering. I think he could compete in the Tour de France. You know oh, what wow. I mean? Like he's yeah, got yeah. that kind of genetic, you know, and Greg Minard is the same way. Greg's body looks very similar to mine. Like he doesn't have like a six pack abs or, you know, he's not ripped like Aaron Gwynn or G Atherton, Mm -hmm. but that guy, you know, I'm breathing again. My, my heart rates at it's close to max and he's not even breathing. You know, he's just (laughs) talking like I am to you right now and I'm about to puke, you know? (laughs) So So there is some genetics, but you know, that's not an excuse why you can't make it in the sport class or why you can't do, you know, or why you can't become better. Mm -hmm. You know, you can still become very, very good at this sport and you know, you just might not ever be a world cup champion.
1: Right. Yeah. Yeah. That's interesting. Well, one of the skills that we've talked about is cornering and that's definitely something a lot of us want to improve. I want to ask you not so much about skills, but in your experience, are some tires better than others at cornering?
0: Well, definitely. Um the um speaking of Greg Menar and I'm gonna mispronounce his tire in um, just a second. It's it's named after a South African spear. Greg's from mm-hmm. South Africa. Um, it's called the Asahi, and I probably just totally butchered it. Yeah, that sounds right to me. The Maxis tire. But uh okay. But it's a Maxis tire and it's phenomenal. Another tire, the tire I love to run, and I'm not sponsored by Maxxis. It just happens to be the tire I run. Um, I wish I was sponsored by Maxxis, but um, is I run a 29 by 3.0 DHF mm-hmm. with 15 psi in it. Wow, that's and interesting.
1: I'm surprised you you run such a wide tire. Why are you surprised at that? I don't know. Uh, it seems like a lot of people who've been writing for a while that, and that have tried it just, it's too wide for them. They feel like the, the sidewalls are a little floppy and that it's yeah maybe not as precise as something a little bit less wide.
0: Well, yeah, um, I understand that, but this whole precise thing um, kind of cracks me up. <laughs> uh, yeah, seriously. I mean, if you're so precise that you're hitting a line, that's two inches wide, like literally, like if I'm, if you were a half inch to the right or half inch to the left, you're Mm -hmm. missing your line. Yeah. You've got way better vision skills than me. (laughs) You know, that's pretty amazing to hit lines that small. And all I know is with 15 PSI on a tire that big, Mm -hmm. my confidence goes through the roof. And I don't think there's much that'll help you more than having more confidence.
1: Yeah. Yeah,
0: absolutely. and the traction that that tire delivers is it's unparalleled, you know, because I mean, it's, it's just amazing to me, you know, and, and I'm going to say this, I really struggle with this. Uh, when I like brag about something I've done <laughs> to not sound like it, you know, I'm trying to brag when I'm, when I'm really just trying to teach somebody a lesson. Right. So in, um, in 2002, I showed up to the world Masters championships in Bromont, Quebec with um, these tires called Nokian and hmm. They
1: were,
0: they were the first three inch wide tires hmm. and everybody joked m- me about my slow rolling giant tires, <laughs> right? Seriously, every single competitor joked me. And then when I got second place in that race, all my competitors accuse me of cheating with my three inch <laughs> wide tires. Right. And I'm like, make up your mind. Was I cheating right. or, or, you know, and it's yeah. funny because, <laughs> you know, the same thing, you know, believe me, I'm very polite. I caught somebody the other day, I was having the run of my life and I caught somebody the other day, walking their dog. And I just shut it down <laughs> and said, hi, and started to talk to him. But because there is no racing right now, Strava is my little racing, you know, and, mm-hmm. In Moab, you know, it's a big swinging contest, uh, you know, with all our locals here. Uh, not all the locals. Most of them have opted out of out of the swinging contest. But, uh, you know, it's just nice to see how you stack up. And right. it's nice. to just I do it mostly to push my own limits. Mm-hmm. But, uh, you know, I, I seem to be doing pretty good with my three O tire on the Strava segments here in Moab, especially for a 54-year-old dude. Mm-hmm. You know, um, so the fact is it works and it works really well. And I think yeah. like I read, I read how R- Richie Rude tried the three O tire and he didn't like it. And mm-hmm. I read the article and I have great respect for Richie Rude. And from the article I read, he tried it for a day, uh, maybe two days. <laughs> yeah. You know, change just feels weird. Mm-hmm. Change feels weird as heck. Right. I think if he gave it a week, he might be like, oh my gosh, you know. Because that big tire, when I'm in the corner and there's a two-inch tall root, mm-hmm. my tire is still touching dirt. Right. Your 2.5 with 20-some 20 pounds of pressure, it's on top of the root. The only mm-hmm. thing that tire is touching at the moment is the root. Right. My tire is still touching the dirt. You know, And same mm-hmm. with all the little pebbles out there. My tire is surrounding that little pebble and touching the dirt on all the sides of that little pebble. Whereas a 2.5 tire is on top of that rock and just sliding along on top of With that little, little pebble. Right. So I'm a huge fan of plus size tires. You know, they're probably mm-hmm. not going to win a cross country race. But <laughs> but as far as cornering traction, my gosh, you know, they've yeah. got great traction.
1: Yeah. That's awesome. Well, another thing I want to ask you about is how mountain bike skills training has changed over the past 2 decades. What about like in terms of the techniques and the skills? Has has that changed? Are there things that you were teaching, you know, maybe 20, even 25 years ago that are no longer being taught because they were wrong or just because skills have evolved? Have there been big changes like that?
0: There's been just a few. The biggest change was when I first started Better Ride, I still thought we were supposed to get our weight back. And I quickly learned that that's not true. Our weight should be centered over our pedals. And, um, and then there was, uh, that hinged body position I I told you about that I learned from Nathan Rennie and then yeah. Gwen kind of, Aaron Gwen kind of perfected. Mm-hmm. And that's not just for downhill racers, you know, that's for a cross country racer. That's for a recreational rider. That's just going to put you in a much more neutral position where you can react to the, the terrain a lot better. Mm-hmm. And then... For younger, more aggressive – not younger. I hate to use that word because I'm 54 and I'm using this stuff, and I know some (laughs) people older than me that use this stuff. But for more aggressive riders, there's a lot more bump jumping, which is a skill where you purposely hit like a tree root or a small rock. Uh You purposely hit it actually rather hard, so it'll pop you into the air, Mm -hmm. and you float over the next eight or ten rocks or tree roots or Ah, 20 you know mm-hmm. and that has become much much more popular and i used to be one of the smoothest or try to be excuse me one of the smoothest riders but i stuck to the ground and right. stayed as smooth as i could if that makes sense to you you know
1: yeah. i mean it's generally then, faster right like i mean especially if you're talking about downhill like you don't you don't want to be airing out the big jumps you want to just kind of hug them right
0: you well yes and no so I recently learned this from um, Miles Rockwell one day in Vermont. I followed him out of the start gate uh, in practice, and about mm-hmm. forty seconds into the run, I'm still on his butt. You know, and I'm mm-hmm. like, "Cool, I'm hanging with one, you know with one of the best riders in the world." Yeah. And then, and in my eyes, he was being playful. We're in the woods in Vermont, and it's really rocky. Mm-hmm. And he hits he hits a little rock, and he pops up off that rock, and mm-hmm. you know, does a little baby air. And the second he lands, He does it again. Mm -hmm. And then the second he lands, he does it the third time. And I can't tell you what happened next because I never saw him the rest (laughs) of that ride. Yeah. Because he just dropped me. Yeah. And then it occurred to me that what he was doing, I was way smoother than he was on the rocks he was bump jumping. He was Mm -hmm. smashing into those rocks. Mm -hmm. But then he was barely getting airborne. Mm Mm-hmm. And he was missing the next eight or ten rocks, which is a little right. smoother than being as smooth as you can, but still hitting those rocks. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And that's when I learned this concept of bump jumping. Hmm. Right. And is that
1: something that was maybe were the bikes holding us back from doing that? Like is it easier now to, no, this to do was, a bump jumping?
0: 1990- this was in nineteen ninety-five. It's actually, wow. you know, if I really want to think about it, it might be almost harder to do a bump jump now. Because you don't get as much of a bump off of a 29-inch wheel as you'd get off a 26-inch wheel. Right. But suspension,
1: I would think, right? You have a little bit of preload. Like you can, I don't know. Yes. Like use that kind of to your advantage. Uh,
0: Yes. And back then, I mean, this was not actually, I said 95. I think it was 1996. You know, by then we did have full suspension bikes. They weren't particularly good compared to today's (laughs) bikes. But the the, the suspension wasn't bad. But you're Mm -hmm. right. Some of that. And, uh, but I think a lot of it is people's first bikes have suspension now. So they look at the trail. I call it looking at the trail with fully rigid eyes. My first <laughs> yeah. mountain bike was a fully rigid mountain bike. I learned mm-hmm. to go around everything and pick good lines. Right. Well, those good lines we used to pick are kind of stupid on a good full <laughs> suspension bike. You yeah. know, it's, it's better to go over those, you know.
1: Yeah. That's so funny you say that, too, because I know a lot of older riders, you know, middle-aged folks like me, you know, we like to tell the younger people, oh, you know, you you should learn to ride on a hardtail. And the only reason we say that is because that's how we did. And we think that's the only way to learn. But like you said, it can introduce some maybe some bad habits even.
0: Well, yeah, you know, I don't want to know if I want to call it a bad habit, but as far as efficiency, it's a bad habit, Mm -hmm. you know, like a, a thing I teach to racers. And I, I teach this less, You know, some people, like my friend Sasha here at Moab, he loves to pop off every little hit on the trail. Mm-hmm. And if you watched him and watched me, I think most people say, it looks like Sasha's having more fun than you do. <laughs> Right? Because my stoke is going as fast as I can. That puts yeah. me in the zone.
1: Yeah.
0: Right? But his stoke is hitting every little jump and, and being playful and very creative in his line mm-hmm. choice. Yeah. Right? So, but if your focus is on speed, I had this awesome teammate years ago named Ryan Sutton. And um, Ryan told me, he said, Gene, don't take the smooth line fast. Take the fast line smooth. Mm. Right? Yeah. So that often means, especially as you mentioned on a full suspension bike, the fast line is often going straight over all those roots as smooth as we can do it versus going around all those tree roots.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Right? That's the more efficient and faster line which is more fun is up to the rider and I'm not going to tell you which is more fun. And, you know, cause, cause no, it's, it's different for all of us, you know? And, and as one of my former coaches used to say, or says all the time now, when I see his Facebook and Instagram posts, remember the number one goal is to have fun. Mm, yeah. So that's changed. And then, you know, The biggest thing that changed for me, though, is is, as uh, you mentioned in the written question here, I think you might have left it out of of your oral question a second ago, is um, my delivery.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah, with the internet now and and videos, I mean, is in-person still the way to do it?
0: Oh no, that's no, funny. I I I read delivery differently than that. Um, oh. I do think with coaching, the one thing, the one problem with coaching, I'm certainly doing a lot more of it. I've got a, a cornering tutorial that'll come out in my next newsletter that that's online uh, on YouTube, my YouTube page. Also, um, mm-hmm. the one big problem with that is you can't ask that video questions, and that video can't watch you, <laughs> right? You know, so so those are two pretty big things to do in person, you know, but, um, and, and another problem is I remember I'm old enough to remember when there was no internet and when the internet came about, one of the coolest things that the internet was going to do was to help people learn remotely. Right. But the problem is, is there's no qualification to post on YouTube.
1: (laughs) So there'd be a lot less stuff on there if there were.
0: Yeah. Right. So, you know, a lot of stuff on youtube is very well meaning but isn't a good explanation of the actual skill mm-hmm. you know uh, like for, there's a lot of bunny hop tutorials that i tell my students to sh- turn off the sound mm. and watch what the guy's doing or the gal is doing because they can bunny hop extremely well mm-hmm. but they're explaining doing something that they're not doing if you really mm. listen to what they yeah. say they're doing and then watch their body they're doing Totally different things, so they're they're struggling, and again, they're well meaning. I don't want to. That's why I'm I'm not going to mention names or anything because all these people are are trying to help others, you know, which Mm -hmm. I have great respect for. But but some of them do a better job explaining it than others. But what I meant from by delivery was how one explains something, right? So one of the biggest ways I've learned how to explain things better is when my student says. A student to me will say, "When you say this, do you mean this?" Mm-hmm. And then they say it in a more descriptive way than I was saying it.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And I'm like, "Yeah," and I'm going to steal that. You know, yeah. let me write this down uh, real quick. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> let me let me write that down because, like, that is a better way of explaining this than the way I was explaining it. Mm, yeah. And even though I've been maybe I'm a slow learner, but even though I've been coaching including snowboarding for basically my entire adult life, it seems like for over 30 years, including snowboarding, I still find that every now and then one of my students will have a better way of explaining what I've been trying to explain for 20 years Mm -hmm. better than the way I explain it. Yeah. Yeah. You know,
1: constantly learning.
0: Yeah. So, you know, yeah. So I would say, the overall takeaway from my courses is not much different than it was 22 years ago when i started because mm-hmm. other than the two skills we mentioned earlier not much has really changed mm-hmm. but uh the way i explain things has changed dramatically
1: mm.
0: yeah you know that's cool. yeah i mean you know cuz the whole goal of a coach It's not, you know, we, we, we touched on this earlier. It's not to fill the the student's head with knowledge. Mm -hmm. It's to get the student performing in a better way. Right. You know what I mean? The -hmm. knowledge is, the knowledge is just there to help people buy into why they're doing this certain thing and whatnot, Mm -hmm. you know, because in general, I've found the, the more cerebral someone is, the more they have to buy into it before they'll commit to doing it.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah, you know, yeah, that's, that's a really good point. Well, you mentioned this, but in 2019, which was not even two years ago, uh, you came in first in the masters 50 to 54 category at the U S national downhill race. So I want to know from you, like, what are your tips uh, for staying fast and fit, you know, Mm -hmm. at your age or at any age?
0: I already told you, plus size tires. <laughs>
1: <laughs> the tires just get bigger, you know, when you're, when you're in yeah. your eighties, you're going to be on a fat
0: bike. It's exactly. No, um I, I, I've got to credit that tire. And, and for once, it's funny at that race, everyone's looking at my front tire and going, damn, that thing looks awesome. <laughs> yeah, I think people understood. It's like, yeah, you got a motorcycle tire, you know, it's right. like that. But, um, you know, honestly, I think Ned Overend would be a better person to talk about this. Um, I'll, I'll give a couple hints because I'm honestly not that fit, you know. My um, uh, and that's why uh, another reason I kind of wrote that article about um, mountain biking wrecking your health is I've had a lot of issues over the last few years that over the last ten years, I'd say, that have really held me back. And so one thing I've been preaching recently, I had it done for the second time, um, a month ago, I went through all 10 of the Rolfing sessions with an amazing Rolfer Hmm. and, um, speaking of the myofascia and all the stuff I've talked about uh, earlier, my body moves with so much more grace and so much more ease right now, thanks to that Rolfing session or those 10 Rolfing sessions. Mm Mm-hmm. And he pretty much got rid of my asthma because my I clench my st- stomach so tight when I talk or do almost anything that my diaphragm can't move when I breathe. <laughs> and he opened up my my psoas muscles and he opened up my diaphragm and he's given me things to do to stay, to keep relaxed. Mm-hmm. And part of Rolfing... And this is going to gross a lot of people out and it grossed me out is he realigns your nasal passages, basically, which means he sticks his pinky up your nose. Oh, wow. It's like a COVID and, test. Yeah. <laughs> and he cleared out my, my right nostril. I kept almost sneezing. And you can imagine sneezing with someone's finger in your nose is probably pretty dangerous. Mm-hmm. So he, he had to give up on my right nostril. Um, and he only got about halfway up it, oh, Wow! but he got up my left nostril and I can't tell you how much better I'm breathing right now. Oh, wow. It, it's, it's beyond belief. I've already, I've already, uh, I text him, uh, on Monday. I'm like, Hey Felix, I can't believe how great my body's working and I'm breathing so much better. I want to come in for another session and see if we can get the right nostril open, like the left nostril. <laughs> <laughs> wow! It's like the one piece I'm missing, yeah. but, uh. Because I couldn't believe it because I basically took three, three weeks off from riding when he was going. Because I went through all 10 sessions in three weeks, which is really fast. And most rolfers wouldn't recommend doing that. But it was the only way I could fit it into my schedule. And um, after those three weeks, I went out and got uh, some of my personal best times on trails. Wow. And I, and I could tell that I wasn't as fit. But I could also tell I was breathing better and my legs we're moving with like just turning those pedals over. They were there like all the muscles that I should be using mm-hmm. to pedal my bike were being used. Like I wasn't overusing one muscle and maybe not using another muscle. I just couldn't like my whole pedal stroke just felt graceful and huh. and just ease. Like there was yeah. no resistance to my pedal stroke. Hmm. And it, I'm still a little blown away by that and then the last thing for older people though in addition to staying uh mobile is uh one of my favorite expressions is we don't stop playing because we get old we get old because we stop playing
1: mm, yeah
0: so you just got to keep at it man you know and that does mean injury management you know like i my latest article is about you need to ride on the offense mm-hmm. and you do want to ride on the offense You never want to ride defensively, Mm -hmm. but that doesn't mean you have to be hair on fire. I'm going to get the Strava KOM offense. It can be like, I'm going to be as smooth as I can, you know, which often when you focus on that, you'll be as fast as you've ever gone, even though that wasn't your focus, Mm -hmm. but you know, your focus can be still on the offense. I'm going to be as smooth as I can. I'm going to ride in as much control as I can, but you know, You've got to get out there and ride because at our age, fitness, I don't know when it was. I, I want to say six years ago, I broke four ribs and chipped mm-hmm. a vertebrae oh, wow. going a whole, going about one mile an hour in a switchback. Mm-hmm. Jeez. <laughs> Probably the worst wreck I've ever had. And I was going one mile an hour. Wow. And it's because I wasn't warmed up yet, but uh, that's a different story. But anyway, that took six or eight weeks to even be able to like ride the bike down the street to mm-hmm. recover from. Yeah. And I was an invalid, like a 30-foot climb, you know, like a climb from a parking lot to the upper parking lot oh, man, would destroy me after yeah. that. And I was in tears on the trail thinking, I'm never going to get back to where I was. Mm-hmm. And it took a year, a full year to get back to where I was wow. after that injury physically. You know, so we've got to keep playing. And I learned this, speaking of Ned Overend, I learned this from Ned in some interview with him, probably in Velo News, a few uh, ten years ago or so.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: It was when he was in his early fifties and he was winning Xterra races, you know, yeah. at the pro level, not in yeah. his age group, but <laughs> the pro level. Yeah. Unbelievable! And he said that he needs mm-hmm. a lot more recovery and that he doesn't need base miles anymore. Oh, so what he, so what he did was he just went out three days a week for an hour and a half to two hours at race pace. Hmm. And then the rest of his time was recovery. Yeah. And I do feel I need a lot more recovery now than I used to.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah. Interesting. You know, yeah, yeah. So it sounds like it's a combination of things too that you mentioned earlier. You know, doing yoga and different strength training and and all of those things. That it's not just one thing, or it's definitely not just going out and riding a bunch and you know, riding riding even more to become faster. It's really kind of breaking it down and focusing on all the the parts that add up to a faster and a better ride.
0: You nailed it. It's that balance. You've got to have that balance.
1: Yeah. Well, so one other question I wanted to ask you is if, do you think that today's bikes make it easier for riders to go faster or to have more fun, which a lot of us want to do and, and how much of the performance, our performance comes down to the bike and how much of it comes down to us
0: as riders? Okay. I'll start with, uh, our bikes better today and more fun. Yeah. And, oh my gosh. (laughs) <laughs> they're, they're so much better. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> they're, they're, like I mean, not just a little better. They're a lot better. Not just a little, I mean, they're so much better. My friends and I, I call them super bikes. Mm-hmm. I mean, bikes nowadays are insane. Um, when I'm coaching people, and uh, and especially if there's an older person in the course who maybe has been riding as long as I have, mm-hmm. you know, and some younger people, I try to tell them about mountain biking in the 90s. And um, I think you remember this too we used to say, if you're not bleeding, it wasn't a good ride. Right. And, um, we used to endo probably every other bike ride I would endo once, <laughs> you know? I mean, yeah. cause our bikes were way too short for us. Our mm-hmm. stems were way too long. Our head angles were way too steep and that just put us in the let's endo position. Right. Yeah. You know? And, um, you know, and we had 26 inch wheels. I mean, 29 inch wheels and 275, they just roll over things easier and you add that with our modern geometry and bikes are they're safer and they're faster. You know, it's right. it's unbelievable how much better. And now with the steep at least for tall people. I'm not sure if this affects shorter people as much, but for tall people like me, the steep seat tube angles, I'm finally not my butt's not over my rear axle. <laughs> right and i'm not riding a recumbent Uh, i used to ride basically it felt like riding i didn't know it felt like riding a recumbent because i had nothing to compare it to but when Mm -hmm. i got my first 77 or 78 degree c2 bike Mm -hmm. i destroyed all my climbing record you know my personal prs which are like not even the top 50 percent on most climbs here in moab but uh but i started just destroying my climbing times and i wasn't any fitter It was just Mm -hmm. I'm pedaling straight down now instead of pedaling forward, right? So uh, yeah, everything's better about these new bikes.
1: Yeah, you know. So does that mean though that that then it's easier for new riders? I mean, can they just hop on a bike and and instantly be good at it? I mean, I assume we still still have a lot to learn in terms of becoming more capable ourselves.
0: Yeah, I mean, definitely, it's much easier. Like you're going to still develop the same bad habits Mm. if you try to teach yourself how to ride, probably that we all developed on our crappier bikes. You'll probably crash a lot less, at least while you're learning, though. You know, I mean, literally, you know, it's like these bikes are just easier to ride. They're just flat out easier to ride. I mean, my current bike is the best climbing bike I've ever owned. Yet, it's in a downhill race. If I had that, you know, I'm talking about my the bike i ride all the time mm-hmm. which is by today's standard would be called an enduro bike In mm-hmm. in that bike if i had that bike in the 90s i think i would have been world champion downhill racer <laughs> yeah. just because the wow. bike is just i mean not because i had the skill to be world champion just because it'd be like racing it you know taking a, an indy car to uh to an electric go-kart race or something like, you know, I mean, it's just like so much, the bikes are so much better. And the one thing though, I do want to stress about this that scares the heck out of me Mm -hmm. because these bikes are so much better. It allows us to go much, much faster. Mm, And so for like when, usually when I ride the rockier trails here in Moab, like Captain Ahab or, um, Porcupine Rim, Mm -hmm. And I, and I really want to go out and hammer, you know, like if I'm riding with a group of friends, I often just have my, my regular cross country type helmet on. But when I want to hammer those trails, I put that full face on now, you know, and my elbow pads, because basically I'm doing a downhill race now. And in the nineties, we all had our body armor on when we raced downhill Mm -hmm. and now we're going the same speeds or, I mean, greater speeds. Yeah, You know, but we're also tired because we're not taking the chairlift up. You know, we're, we're doing a, you know, we're riding and, you know, it's like, so the one scary things about these bikes is they can kind of put us in a position. Maybe we're not quite ready for yet, but then on the, uh, on the flip side, if you make a big mistake, these bikes are much easier, much more forgiving Mm -hmm. and you can recover from that big mistake a lot easier nowadays too. Right. Interesting. You know, I, modern bikes are, they're just a wonder to me. They're just amazing. Here's the deal still though. It's still 90% rider. You put Rachel Atherton or Aaron Gwynn on a trail bike and they'll still whip me even if I was on a downhill bike, (laughs) you know what I mean? And I'm pretty good at downhilling, you know, but, but I'm not Aaron Gwynn or Rachel Atherton good. So, you know, you could put them on a, on a much less bike than I have. Mm -hmm. And they would probably still, they'd definitely still beat me. Right. And that's even more so in cross country. You put Chloe on a 30 pound, $1,500 bike Mm -hmm. and she would still crush me if I was on an 18 pound cross country race bike. Right. You know? Yeah. So, so, you know, the bikes, but the bikes do, they, they make, they make the self learning curve a little safer, Mm -hmm. you're still going to probably learn bad habits, but those bad habits aren't as honestly, aren't as dangerous Mm -hmm. as the bad habits used to be. And they're just kind of safer to ride.
1: Yeah. Yeah. You know? Yep. Yeah. It is hard to separate sort of the bike from the rider. And like you said, we could think of examples of, you know, someone who's a really good rider being able to do, you know, really pretty well on a, a, on an average bike or, you know, an average rider doing really well on a a good bike. So it is, it is hard to separate the two. Definitely. So Gene, what's next for you? What are you hoping to accomplish in 2021?
0: Well, the biggest thing is uh, becoming a father and uh, a husband to um, my family. That's currently trapped in South Africa. I haven't seen them. Haven't seen them in uh, 13 months. Oh, Jeez. Yeah, that's,
1: that's super tough
0: yeah um it's been it's been tough but mountain bike wise i've been working on producing um a lot of excellent uh instructional video content uh for the riders mm-hmm. who can't make it to my courses and uh so yeah i just really want to expand my youtube channel and keep on uh learning and becoming better at coaching and uh i really i mean i can't believe <laughs> That I've made a living coaching mountain biking for 22 years.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Who would and have, have thought? thought? I mean, especially back then when Right. That, that really wasn't even a thing.
0: It, oh, man. When I started, the resistance I got, uh, I'm encouraging my uh, my fiance, Ilsa, who's also the Better Ride Operations Manager. I'm encouraging her to see if she can dig up some stuff uh, from MTBR. MTBR, when I first started... I had no money. So it was my only way to market was Mm -hmm. I'd go on MTBR and just comment like, you know, people would say, how do I get better at cornering? And I'd give Uh advice. And then I'd mention my courses and you would not believe the people that attacked my mother. They, they attacked, (laughs) they attacked the idea of coaching. You can't teach people this. Everyone has their own style. No one can teach this. You know, um, you're an idiot. I mean, you would not believe the resistance I got, it was mind blowing. And I'm like, okay, you know, you don't like coaching, you know, you don't have to be coached. Like, but you don't need to attack my mom. I mean, literally I remember this one guy from Durango saying that my mom must've been a bitch or something. I was just like, really?
1: You know, I was just like, are you kidding me? A lot of resistance to that idea of, of bringing like formalized coaching and instruction to mountain bike
0: skills. Yeah, I was. You know, maybe it's because I come from snowboarding and ski racing. I mean, I was never a ski racer, but that's where where snowboard racing got its first coaches and everything from. Mm-hmm. And that's just a very structured environment. Yeah. So I just figured, you know, I literally thought when I started Better Ride, I was going to be so busy from day one, I wouldn't know what to do with myself. <laughs> you know. And, uh, it was nothing like that. You know, I ended up having to have odd jobs for five years. And, uh, you know, like I really, the first two until 2005, which is really the first six years I struggled. I mean, Mm. I wasn't making, I was not, I was living below poverty level, Mm. you know, but, uh, but yeah, it's great to see that it's really caught on now. And, uh, and you can really see the difference sometimes like at Whistler, I was uh, coaching someone at Whistler two years ago before COVID in mm-hmm. uh, 2019, and I'm like, "Oh, look! Here comes a group of students. Watch! They're all going to be doing this wrong, this wrong, and this wrong." Mm-hmm. And they came through, and I was, I was wrong. They <laughs> were doing the three, the three things I said. Yeah, they were doing nearly perfectly, and wow. I'm like, "Wow! Man. This is so awesome for the sport." Yeah. you know, like I couldn't believe how good these people have become, you know? And I'm yeah. like, you know, so it, there is hope.
1: <laughs> yeah. Awesome. And yeah, you mentioned yeah. that you're doing some more of the video and online content, but it also looks like you've got a number of in-person clinics happening this year all around the U.S. and a lot of, a lot of them are already sold out.
0: Yeah. You know, I've been, like I said, uh, you know, I've been doing this a long time and I'm really fortunate that, uh, especially thanks to the great um, help I have uh, from Ilsa with my, uh, she's taken over the social media and a lot of the marketing stuff for me. And uh, with her help uh, and just my reputation over the last 22 years, most of my courses do sell out. So hmm. again, I mean, I just feel really fortunate to uh, do what I love for a living. Yeah. You know, I mean, I just I, I literally pinch myself often and whenever I'm tired or, you know, like don't want to do something, I'm like, dude, you're getting paid to do what you love. <laughs> yeah. you know? Yeah. And it's like, cool. you know, get off your high horse and do what you go out and do what you love and do it to the best of your ability.
1: Yeah, you know? yeah. Well, your enthusiasm and your stoke definitely comes through, and yes, how you talk about it and uh, present it, and I just really appreciate you taking the time to to talk with us today.
0: Oh, thank you, man. This has been a lot of fun, and it's gone a lot longer than I think both That's of us
1: expected. Right, it has. Yeah, so we'll have to do this as a two parter. But yeah, really appreciate
0: it. Yeah, excellent. I, I, I thank you. I'm honored to be on your your podcast. I, I feel I'm flattered.
1: Thanks. Well, you can connect with Gene and his team and also find out about clinics that are happening at betterride.net. That's all we've got this week. We'll talk to you again next week.